Let's look at why we need the sacraments in the sense of a big picture overview of what we've talked about in this series. All right. So, by way of review, you'll remember that the way that we've worked through this subject matter is we've started with the subject of baptism, and then we ended with the subject of the Lord's Supper. And we took an in-depth look at both of those things. But before we even begin talking about baptism, one of the things that we did was we sort of set the foundation. And what we did to set the foundation for our discussion is we talked about covenant theology. Now, covenant theology is really important to understand if you're going to understand the sacraments. Because the sacraments, as we've learned, are covenant signs. And so if you don't understand covenant theology, you're going to have a hard time understanding covenant signs. And so what we talked about is how, with respect to covenant theology... God, in the scriptures, always deals with man in terms of covenant. When he wants to enter into a relationship with man, it's always by way of covenant. Our Westminster Confession, chapter 7, paragraph 1, says this, and they put it so well. They say that the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures owe obedience to God as their creator, yet they would never have any fruition of him as their blessedness or reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has pleased to express by way of covenant. So when God wants to interact with his creatures, it is always by way of covenant. When God came to the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, he established a covenant with Adam. And the covenant was this, I will give you eternal life if you obey me. And Adam would have merited eternal life for himself and for all of his descendants if he'd obeyed God in the covenant of works, we call it. But Adam didn't do that. And so he wrought upon himself and all of his descendants the guilt of sin. And that's how we got where we are today as sinful human beings. Because Adam broke the covenant with God. And so when God then further, as he continued redemptive history, he established covenants with his people. The covenant with Noah. In the covenant with Noah, God said, I will never again destroy the world with a flood. When he came to Abraham, he established a covenant with Abraham and said, Abraham, through your offspring, the Messiah will come and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God continued. He established a covenant with Moses and with the nation of Israel. He established a covenant with David. And then we get to the new covenant, which is the covenant that we're under right now. In fact, our entire Bibles, if you look at it, are structured in terms of covenant theology. We've got New Testament and Old Testament. That word testament is an old English word for an old Latin word that means covenant. So we've got the old covenant and the new covenant right there in our English Bibles. So you can see covenant is really important. It is how God deals with people, and it is how he unfolds redemptive history. Now, when God makes a covenant, we saw that God nearly always establishes covenant signs. And the function of covenant signs within God's covenant with man is to function to point us toward the promises of God. That are offered to us in the covenant. That's the purpose of the signs. They strengthen our faith in the promises of God. Think about, for example, God makes the covenant with Noah. 
What's the sign? The rainbow. God says, this will be the sign of the covenant. I will put my bow in the sky. And what does that rainbow do? It's every time that Noah and even all of us look at the rainbow. Every time we see that covenant sign, we are reminded of the promise of God in the covenant with Noah. That he will never again destroy the world with a flood. That he will preserve the world until he has accomplished all of his purposes. Right? That's the promise. And the sign points us to the promise. When God made the covenant with Abraham, he said, here's my covenant. The Messiah is going to come through your offspring. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then God says, and this will be the sign of the covenant. Circumcise. Why? Because circumcision is applied to the male reproductive organ. And when circumcision was applied in that way, God was saying, this is going to be a sign you're not going to forget. This is going to be with you always. Because through reproduction, through your offspring, the Messiah is going to come. And so you can see, as God gives covenant signs, what he is doing is he is giving us clear, visible representations of the promise that he is making to us. And so when we get to the New Covenant, what we call maybe the New Testament, the era of redemptive history that we are in, God has also given us covenant signs. And the two covenant signs that he has given us are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we call those covenant signs sacraments. And so what we have done then in this series is we've begun to look at the nature of how those covenant signs work. How does baptism work? How does the Lord's Supper work? What is its purpose? What do we need them for? And so with respect to baptism, we saw that baptism is the sign of inclusion in the visible church. That is, those who are baptized, they are to be considered part of the visible church, part of the people who claim to be Christians. Now, we don't know if they really are Christians, We don't know if they're part of the invisible church. But we do know that they are to be considered as Christians. They are to be treated as holy. And so that's what baptism marks. And we saw that as as we looked at baptism, that in the New Testament, Paul is constantly connecting baptism to circumcision. Because in the Old Covenant, circumcision was the sign of inclusion in the visible church. In the Old Covenant... Circumcision was the sign of saying, this person is part of God's community of believers. Now, that doesn't mean that every person who was circumcised was actually saved or that they actually were believers. Rather, they were professing to be believers. They were considered to be Christians in the Old Testament. Baptism's the same way. Just because someone's baptized doesn't mean they're saved. But they're to be treated as Christians. They're to be treated as part of the church even if we don't know for sure if they are or not. Now, baptism then, in that sense, is a sign then of personal faith. Baptism is a sign of personal faith in Christ. And so the question we dealt with at one point was, okay, if baptism is a sign of personal faith, why on earth are we giving this to children? Why is it that children receive a sign of personal faith? Well, it's because in the Old Covenant... Children of believers received a sign of personal faith. And that was circumcision. 
Paul, in Romans 4, refers to circumcision as a sign and seal of righteousness by faith. Now that's Paul. That's not Calvin or Luther or some other theologian. That's Paul saying circumcision was a sign of personal faith. And yet God commanded when he established the covenant with Abraham that not only would Abraham receive the sign of personal faith, but Abraham's eight-day-old Isaac would receive the sign of personal faith. And so in like manner, we baptize the children of believers because they are to be considered believers. And we don't know for sure if they are. They might not be. But Paul calls the children of believers holy. Holy to the Lord. They are to be considered as part of the church, even if we don't know for sure. Because we don't know if anyone is part of the church for sure. But we consider them to be believers. And so we baptize them as the Old Testament church circumcised their children for the same reasons. So that's baptism, what it is. That's baptism, who gets it. And then what does baptism actually do? The other thing we talked about is what baptism does. Baptism, first of all, does not save. We don't believe that baptism is how you're saved. You're not going to receive justification through baptism. Justification comes through the sovereign gift of faith that God gives. He could give that at baptism if he wanted to. But normally that's not how it works. Normally he does it in his own time. But what baptism's primary function is, is the same function as the rainbow. The same function as the Lord's Supper. The same function as circumcision. The same function as all of the covenant signs. The purpose of the covenant signs is to strengthen faith in the promises of God. The Holy Spirit is at work when a sacrament is administered. It is at work in the individual. It is at work in the onlookers. And as the Spirit works through the sacrament, it is strengthening our faith in the promises of God that are given to us in His covenant. That's the function of a covenant sign, plain and simple. Paul calls it a seal. Because a seal is something that impresses something upon something else. And so in that way, baptism is a seal. It seals the promises of God on our hearts and on our consciences so that our faith is strengthened in the promises offered to us in God's covenant of grace. So that's baptism. We spent 15 weeks dealing with all of that. Now I just put it in five minutes. You're like, we should have just done this to begin with. That's baptism. How about the Lord's Supper? What do we say about that? Well, again, the Lord's Supper is like baptism. It's a sign of the covenant. And just like baptism corresponds to circumcision, so the Lord's Supper corresponds to another rite of the Old Testament. The Lord's Supper corresponds to the Passover. In fact, Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper during the Passover feast, marking that clear connection. Paul calls Jesus our Passover lamb. That clear connection is there, that just as the Israelites celebrated a meal to celebrate the fact that God covered over their houses in the Exodus event by the blood of the lamb, So in the new covenant, we celebrate a meal because God has covered over our sins with the blood of the Lamb. And so Lord's Supper has a profoundly similar function to the Passover. Its purpose is to be a meal, a community meal where we celebrate together God's redemption, that he has provided the Lamb, that he has provided 
the atonement for our sins. And so when we come to the supper, the supper is for believers. Our children do not partake. Why? Because Paul says that those who partake of the supper must examine themselves. And so this meal is for professing believers. And we come, we partake of the meal. And here again, because the Lord's Supper is a covenant sign, it has the same function as baptism and all the other covenant signs. It is for the purpose of strengthening our faith in the promises of God. That as surely as we eat that bread, and as surely as we drink that wine, so we can have absolute confidence that the blood of Jesus paid for all of our sins and that we can spiritually feed on Christ for our eternal salvation. You see, the sacrament's function here is to take the written word, what God tells us in the scriptures, and to put it on display in a visible, tangible form that we can see, that we can touch, that we can hold, and we can see the gospel presented. That's why when people ask me, should we have drama in worship? I say yes. But the only kind of drama that we should have in corporate worship is the drama of the sacraments. Because the sacraments are a drama. The sacraments are a visible presentation of the gospel. And they've been instituted by God. And the Spirit works through them to communicate the truths of the gospel and to seal them upon our hearts and even on our consciences. You remember how Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Well, what he's talking about there is the fact that in when, when we come to the word of God or when we come to the sacraments, the visible word of God, that the spirit is working through those things to not only take the truths of the gospel and implant them in our intellects so that we understand the facts, but that the Holy Spirit is actually impressing those promises on our hearts and even our consciences so that our consciences testify to us of the truth of the promises of the gospel in the covenant. So that almost instinctively, we think of the promises of God in troublesome situations. That when our assurance is challenged, that when we are feeling like, man, I just don't know if I believe the word, that our consciences even, that Jiminy Cricket voice in your head, if you will, is testifying to you the truth of the promises of God. And see, that's the function of the word, and that's the function of the sacraments. All right, we've just covered 23 weeks of material in 10 minutes. That's a lot of overload, but I hope that you remember a lot of these things that we've talked about in much more detail as we walk through Scripture passage after Scripture passage after Scripture passage informing us of these things. And if at any point, by the way, just as a side note, you ever want to revisit some of these ideas, remember, all of these Sunday school sessions are recorded each week, and they're on the church website. And so you can find them there. You can go back. If you're really, really bored one day, and you want to listen to 23 straight weeks of lectures, you can go and do that, because they're on there. So uh, I've talked to many of you, and and I know that's, that many of you have really appreciated the, the, the slow walk through through many of these things. And so I'm glad that it has been helpful. But with that review being said, with all of this information about the sacraments now sort of revolving around in our minds, we want to ask the question here for the remainder of our time together. 
Why do we need these sacraments? Why do we need baptism? Why do we need the Lord's Supper? And this question is becoming increasingly important because what we've seen in the development of modern evangelicalism and your general generic Bible church is a lot of good things. But we've also seen a lot of bad things. And one sort of negative thing that I've noticed, and I mean not just me, but many other, uh, other people have noticed, is that because we have increasingly in Christianity today begun to have such a low view of the sacraments, they have started to fall out of use and are being replaced by our own creation of new sacraments. Now, nobody, I think, is really going to say, I'm creating a new sacrament because I don't like the ones God gave me. But there is a sense in which this kind of, this kind of thing is happening subconsciously. Let me give you an example of this. In the modern evangelical church, I don't think it is too much to say that the sacrament of the church today in many churches is the praise and worship music. Now, you might say, well, hold on a second. What are you trying to say? Well, first of all, let me tell you what I'm not trying to say. I'm not trying to say that praise and worship music is evil or bad. Right? I love praise and worship music. I can worship at a contemporary church just as much as some charismatic Pentecostal guy can do. Right? I love praise and worship music as long as the songs are good. In fact, many of you might not know that for a couple of years before we came to Jackson, I was a praise and worship leader. I was the lead vocalist and the lead guitar for a praise and worship team at our church. And I did that for two years. I've got nothing against praise and worship music. I love it. But here's the problem. And this isn't really just a problem with praise and worship. It's just a problem with the way church structure is in general these days. Is, is you come to your general church, and what it ends up being is it ends up being about you know, 40 minutes of music and then a 20-minute sermon. Right? Now, there's nothing wrong with having lots of music. But here's the problem that comes as it's developed and subconsciously developed, is that the praise and worship music itself becomes the means in their theology by which the Spirit strengthens faith. And so you'll hear the praise and worship leader get up and he'll say things like, all right, guys, we're here to worship. Let's go. Let's get warmed up. He's like getting people ready to worship. And then he starts saying things like, all right, guys, the Holy Spirit is now going to come and he's going to work among you and he's going to encourage you. And this is going to give you the strength to go about the rest of your week. Now, is it true that music can be encouraging? Absolutely. We hope music is encouraging. We want music to be encouraging to our people. But you see, the language that's being used there and the ideas that's being used there are the very ideas of what the sacraments are. It is the sacraments that God has given the church to be the means by which the Spirit is working to encourage His people. And not just the sacraments, but also primarily the preaching of the Word. The Word and sacrament are the means by which the Spirit works to do these things. Not that the Spirit can't do anything outside of those things. Again, this is sort of like the abuse of a good thing. Music should be encouraging. Can the Spirit work through a song? Perhaps. But the problem is the songs are taking over. And the sacrament becomes this cute little thing we do over here in remembrance of Christ. And we all herd up to the front and, and do this little thing really quick and get back so we can get to the meat of the service, which is the singing. I think that's tragic. Because that's not what the scripture calls us to. 
The scripture calls us to a profound, deep appreciation for the sacraments. And that the prime climax of all of our worship should be the preaching of the word, first and foremost, and secondarily, the sacraments. They are the means by which God is primarily working to strengthen our faith. And so we come now to this second section here, which is why do we need the sacraments? I've got nine reasons why we need the sacraments. And this is what we're going to close our series on because this is essentially taking all these 23 weeks and we're saying this is why it is so important. This is why we need these things that God has given to us. And so firstly then, why do we need the sacraments? We need the sacraments because the sacraments are special means that God has given for the very purpose of strengthening faith in his promises. Calvin once said that human beings are factories of idols. We like to make up our own stuff. We like to make up our own ceremonies. And in fact, sometimes we like to make our own sacraments. We like to go beyond what scripture gives us because we think we can do better. Or we can, be, we can be more accommodating to our culture. And while there is some truth to accommodating to culture, we ought to be careful that we don't override the scriptural priorities. And so what God has granted to his church is word and sacrament. Those are the means that God uses to strengthen the faith of believers. Again, not saying you can't find strength in other things, but those things are all supplemental. The sacraments are the prime visible presentation of the gospel that we need to take seriously. The Lord's Supper is not this cute thing we do on the side. The Lord's Supper is extremely important because it is what God has given to us. And so the sacraments then are going to be far more important than any kind of supplemental things that we can come up with on the side. So that's the first thing. Secondly, the sacraments are important because the sacraments show us Christ. And I want to read for you just a couple of lines from the Heidelberg Catechism. This is from question 67. And I love how the catechism puts this. It says, quote, The Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that the whole of our salvation depends upon that one sacrifice of Christ which he offered for us on the cross. So you see, what the catechism is explaining here is that in the gospel, that is, in the the word of God, I think it's trying to say, when the word of God is presented, the written word, and when the visible word of God is presented, we can be absolutely assured that as soon as we hear the promise of God from the scriptures, and as soon as we see the promise of God from the sacraments, As surely as we see, as surely as we hear, so those things are true. And they present Christ so vividly and so perfectly. Far better than we could do with our own imaginings and our own efforts. These are the things that God has given us to do the thing that we're trying to do with all kinds of other things. Which is to present Christ. Again, not saying we can't do other things. Other things are great. But these are the chief ways that God has given to us. Thirdly, the sacraments are important because the sacraments are for sinners. Sacraments are for those of us who have seen that we so desperately 
fall short of the glory of God. That we are wretched sinners. That in and of ourselves, we would never have anything to do with God. Paul says, quoting the Psalms, that there is no one who seeks after God. By nature, we are children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love through which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. See, the sacraments are for sinners because they present the gospel to sinners. And they present it in a God-ordained way. The sacraments are for sinners. Fourthly, the sacraments are for the forgetful and the distracted. Now, boy, if that doesn't describe us today in the 21st century, I don't know what does. We are forgetful, and boy, are we distracted. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the sermon today when we get into the worship service, but we are so incredibly distracted today in our own lives. We've got so many things going on. These Americans are so incredibly busy. We've got this, we've got that, we've got this event, we've got the kids over here, we've got meals to make over here, dishes to wash and clothes to wash. You can pile all this stuff on. And we are so crazy busy in today's culture. And the sacraments are God's means to present to us, yet don't get distracted by the things in life. Focus on Christ. This sacrament is for you. When you get distracted by the devil, the world, and your own flesh, when you begin to lose assurance of salvation, what you need is not primarily faith radio, although it's amazing. What you need primarily it's not some kind, of, some kind of app or something. What you need when you're struggling with assurance primarily is the preaching of the word and the sacraments. That's what you need when you are forgetful and distracted. I can think of no greater thing for someone who is struggling with the assurance of their salvation than to come to the Lord's table and to eat and to drink deeply from the well that is Christ. The sacraments are for the forgetful and the distracted. Fifthly, the sacraments nourish and increase the assurance of our salvation. And of course, they're doing that because the function of the sacraments is to impress upon us the promises of God through the work of the Spirit. And when those promises are pressed upon us by the Spirit... Our assurance is increased because our faith is increased. And that can happen whether we're partaking of the supper, whether we receive baptism ourselves, or whether we're even watching someone else receive baptism. Because when we watch that, we can see the water being poured or them being dunked or whatever mode we're going to use, we can see the gospel being presented. We can see the sprinkling of the water as the sprinkling of the blood on the altar of the Day of Atonement. We can see the pouring of the water symbolizes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And we can see the immersion baptism as being a wonderful representation of being buried with Christ and being raised with Him from Romans chapter 6. So we can see the gospel being presented and that strengthens our faith through the work of the Spirit and it increases our assurance. 
We'll also talk about another way that we can have assurance of salvation in the sermon today. But sixthly, the sacraments are important because the sacraments are a means of sanctifying grace. And we've talked about this quite extensively, that we believe that the sacraments are not just bare, naked signs. They're not just symbols with no spiritual work happening. We've stressed that. We've also stressed that the sacraments don't save you. What we have stressed is that the sacraments are not means of justifying grace, as if they save you or they cleanse you from sin or something. But rather, the sacraments are means of sanctifying grace. The sacraments are a profound part of our sanctification. That as we walk the Christian walk, as we pursue holiness, as we seek to be faithful to God, as we persevere in the faith once we're all delivered to the saints, we need the sacraments because the Holy Spirit is working in that to preserve us in that faith. And that's why we say the sacraments, this is why we can, we can go with what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, that the sacraments are part of salvation. Not in the sense that we need them in order to get to heaven or something, but they're a part of salvation because they're a part of sanctification. And sanctification is an aspect of our salvation. Big, broad, big picture speaking, right? So the sacraments are a means of sanctifying grace. None of our abilities to create sacraments is going to do this. Only God's sacraments are are means of sanctifying grace. Seventhly, The sacraments are important because the sacraments increase Christian maturity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Because when when the sacraments are increasing faith, guess what's going to happen? The sacraments are going to increase works. This is not legalism. This is not works righteousness at all. But what we're talking about here is we're talking about the fact that true believing faith produces fruit. This was the promise of Jesus when he said, a good tree bears good fruit. This is what the Apostle James talks about. This is what Peter talks about in the sermon text for today. We're going to get there. True faith produces fruit. True faith produces godly living. And so when we are experiencing the sacraments and we receive the sacraments and our faith is being increased, guess what that's going to have an effect on? That's going to have an effect on the way we live our life. Our Christian maturity is going to develop. Eighth, the sacraments are important because the sacraments are a means by which you are preserved in the faith. Now, like the word of God, if you want to be preserved in faith, you need the word. You need the preaching of the word. You need to read the word. That is how God preserves his people. And likewise, when you come to the sacraments, they are invisible word. And God is working in those things to preserve us. In the faith. And then finally, then, the sacraments help us to look forward to the final consummation of the promises that are signified. I think of of the Lord's Supper. We often think about the Lord's Supper as if its only purpose is to point back to what Jesus did in the past. And that certainly is true because Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. But the Lord's Supper is not just looking back, the Lord's Supper is looking profoundly forward. It is looking forward to Revelation chapter 19. When we partake of a great feast, the feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we will forever and for all eternity experience perfect paradise and celestial felicity as we feast 
with the Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever. The Lord's Supper looks forward to that. And so in all of this then, as we wrap this up, the Lord's Supper is profoundly important. Baptism is profoundly important. They are such an important aspect of our Christian life. They are special gifts from God that He uses through the power of His Spirit to work the gospel more deeply and more profoundly in us. They are not things to be neglected. They are not things to take lightly. They are really, really important. And I hope that as we continue to worship here at Pearl in the coming months and years, that that the Lord will recall to your mind many of the things that we've talked about in this series as we come and participate in the supper, as we watch a baptism, as the sacraments are administered here in this church, I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring these things to mind so that we can have a better appreciation for the sacraments and that we can better experience and realize what the Spirit is doing in us through them. They're gifts from God. Let's be thankful for them. All right. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the sacraments, which are your gifts to us. Lord, we pray that we would work all of these truths deep within our hearts, that we would love these sacraments. Lord, pray that when we are feeling distressed and that when we are feeling troubled, Lord, that one thing that you would do is that you would draw us to word and sacrament, that you would draw us to those powerful means of grace by which you present the gospel to us and by which you work the gospel in us more deeply through the Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would work in us now. We don't experience and we don't participate in the sacraments this morning, but we do hear the preaching of your written word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work through that and that you would work the gospel more deeply in us. We pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.